you get in every industry people saying it has to be done in this way and it's the worst reason ever because they say because it's yeah. always been done as soon yeah, as someone yeah. says that to me i'm like okay that's a good reason for us to do something different uh, <laughs> Welcome to Push To Be More with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, this is a show that talks about the stuff that makes life work. And to help me do just that, today I'm chatting with my very special guest, Jack Latus from Latus Health, about where he's had to push through, what he does to recharge his batteries and to be, as well as what he plans on doing to be more. Now the show notes and the transcript from our conversation will be available on our website, pushtobemore.com. And on our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter. And each week we will email you these links with the notes and the links from the show automatically. They come direct to your inbox. It's totally free, it's totally amazing. So make sure you sign up for that. Now this episode is brought to you by Orient Media, which helps entrepreneurs and business leaders set up and run their own podcast. Why would they do that? Well, you know what? I have found running my own podcast to be really, really rewarding, especially from a business point of view. It opens doors to amazing people like nothing else I have seen. I have built networks, made friends, had a platform to champion my customers, my team, and my suppliers. And I think just about any entrepreneur or business leader should have their own podcast because it's had such a positive impact on my own business. Now, of course, that all sounds great in theory, but in reality, there's the whole problem of setup, distribution, getting the tech right, knowing what the right podcast strategy is. I mean, the list goes on. You see, I love talking to people, but not all that other stuff. So the fab team at Orion Media take it all off my plate. I just get to talk to people and they do the rest which is brilliant. So if you're wondering whether podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with them at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. We will of course link to them on the podcast website as well, which is pushtobemore.com. Oh yes, it is. So hopefully you've got all of that. So that's the show sponsor. Let's talk about today's guest, Mr. Jack Latus, a disruptor and innovator in the healthcare industry who has overcome significant challenges through bootstrapping and disrupting the heavily regulated healthcare industry. As CEO of Latus Health, he is changing the way the world heals, consolidating the market and providing high-level health testing for executives. Jack is committed to living well and has a data-driven approach to his health, including a six-month longevity protocol that reduced his biological age by 4.6 years. I'm very intrigued and interested. So yes, we're going to get into that conversation. Jack, welcome to the podcast, man. Great to have you. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on today. No problem. No problem. And you are, uh, you're dialing in from Hull, right? That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yep. Before we hit the, before the reason I'm laughing, ladies and gentlemen, is before we hit the record button, Jack just said, I must remind myself not to get too hull in the conversation which i thought was such a fantastic phrase uh, so yeah welcome welcome jack great to have you uh now tell us a little bit about latest health uh, just so we all know i mean i've read a little bit in the bio but uh, maybe fill in a few of the blanks yeah sure so latest health is a, an occupational health provider delivering b2b healthcare services across the uk and into uh, ireland and northern ireland as well um so we basically 
are responsible for making sure that workplaces across the UK are healthy and we're looking after the health needs of all their employees, um, both from a statutory point of view and from a, um, a well-being and wellness health promotion point of view. Um, and we very much focus on being a, a tech-enabled healthcare provider. So everything we do is how can we use uh, digital solutions to improve the efficiency of the uh, service and the healthcare outcomes for the individuals as well. So the, um, I, I mean, that sounds great. And I'm, I'm just curious if I just rewind a little bit, how in the world did you get into that, right? Because it's not like, it doesn't sound like one of those conversations, you know, where you're sat in the pub with your mates and you go, oh, what do you want to do, Jake? And you go, well, I'll tell you what I want to do. This is, a, I've got a vision for healthcare here and this is kind of what I do. It sounds like there's probably a bit of a story there. Yeah, there is. It's, yeah, absolutely. I don't think many people uh, grow up dreaming to be uh, the chief executive of an occupational health business, right? So I think, um, so yeah, I mean, we got here very organically. I mean, so my, my background straight out of school was professional sports. I played professional rugby for six years. And then in oh, 2010, I had a bad knee injury. I thought, that's it, career over. Um, I was in a contract year at my club at the time. So I thought, right, I need a, a plan for after rugby. The only thing I knew outside of rugby was was fitness, health and fitness. So I said, right, obvious thing, let's set up a gym. Did that. Uh, actually managed to keep playing rugby for a few more years. So I, I, I uh, grew a gym. We trained a load of um, professional athletes out there. We got a, a, a really good reputation for um, helping professional athletes compete at the top levels at the Olympics, mm. at you know top level boxers, um, you know premiership and you know, high level footballers, uh, golfers, rugby players, you name it. We were training them, so we got this this reputation for being the go to guys, definitely in the North of England for um, for, for training professional athletes. But uh, in 2014, because um, I, I founded the business with with my younger brother Sam in 2014, our elder brother. He left the Royal Marines where he was a captain. He came and joined us. And so we're in a position where I was like, hang on, lads, we're doing a good job as a small independent gym here, but it's probably not going to feed three families. What can we do to expand our, you know, our, our market opportunity? So we said, well, this um, program for improving athletic performance really is just a program for improving human performance. Let's take this to the local corporates and sell it in as a, a well-being offering to improve productivity, improve performance, and it's going to be you know, make all these people so much better as businesses and they're going to love it. Anyway, yeah. they didn't. So, they, <laughs> you know, it's uh, actually, um, although they all loved the concepts of it, no one at the time had well-being anywhere near the top of their HR agenda. Right. They certainly didn't have a well-being budget. And so we effectively were going in there selling this, this nice to have product. And they were like, yeah, it'd be lovely to be able to provide this to all of our staff. But at the time, there was no, there was no pressure from you know, um, talent walls or recruitment pressures to actually need this to make it a must-have. Like it, it certainly is now, you know, well-being is a really, yeah, it yeah. is a must-have within organizations now, but this was back when it wasn't. So I was like, we we're literally banging our heads against the wall saying, how are we going to sell this? Back to the drawing board. And we said, right, what's that statutory requirement that still fits in with health that businesses have to buy? And that's when we realized occupational health was that. So we went out, learned what occupational health was, built a clinical team. But then what we did, which was, um, smart uh, probably was uh, well retrospectively looking back it was smart we put it alongside our well-being offering so we went in with the statutory requirement work this is what you have to do but then we also paired it with our well-being and wellness offering so actually what we'd created is probably the most proactive occupational health company 
certainly in the UK. Mm. And that allowed us to, to grow to where we are now because it was, it was a fairly competitive market with some real solid incumbents in there um, that we were, you know, trying to um, displace. And I think it was, it was the sort of the wellness wellbeing offering before everybody mm. else was thinking about it that gave us opportunity. Wow. So that's quite a journey. I mean, from, mm. from the, the gym to the, the occupational health company. For those listening maybe outside of the UK, just define uh, occupational health, just to be clear on what you mean by that term. Yeah, so it's basically any of the um, health needs which uh, an a employer has. So effectively, o- occupational health, I'm sure <laughs> we'll probably get some comments saying this is a bad definition of it, but it's... <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> It's an, um, providing the advice and the health testing required to a organization to ensure that their employees are remaining self- safe in that, that working environment. So there's two sides to it. There's how do we um, keep people at work safely or bring them back to work safely after illness or injury? So that would be um, advice on returning to work. The other side of it is the statutory health testing um, for people who work in environments which are potentially harmful to health, such as audiometry if you're working in a noisy right. environment, spirometry for if you're exposed to lung sensitizers, you're working with vibrating equipment with potentially sense, uh, skin sensitizers. If you work in a job role which could be deemed safety critical, i.e. Uh, you drive a forklift or you work in a confined space, then there's certain medicals that by law you, your employer has to provide for right. you. Okay, so in some respects, if, and I, maybe I'm mis, misunderstanding it slightly, Jake, so correct me where I'm wrong here. The, the idea of owning a gym, for me, is quite a sexy idea. I've, I've sort of looked after gyms in the past. I've been involved. I thought a few years ago about opening one here in Liverpool. The thought of occupational health, I don't know, just doesn't feel as sexy somehow to me as, as running a gym. Have I, is that, is that something maybe you've struggled with or would that just be me? I, I think it's, it's a really good um, viewpoint. And I think occupational health historically, or the way that everybody else does it, is not sexy. Mm. And if, if I was having to deliver it the same way that all the other providers in the UK do, then I'd be the same as you. I'd be like, this is, this is boring. It's not. You know, it's not, not exciting enough for me, but because we're very much disruptive in it and we're coming at it from a, how do we improve the occupational health experience, not just for the employer and the employee, um, how do we improve healthcare outcomes? Because one thing occupational health traditionally has never done and still doesn't, except for us, doesn't make the employee healthy. It doesn't improve health. All it does is provide advice and make sure people right. aren't getting unhealthy. Whereas we come at it and we say, how can we make our service actually help people get healthier as well? So that's... Yeah, totally unique in terms of, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people think running a gym is exciting, but it's really hard work. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I think um, that, yeah, even now to people who are personal trainers, for example, I think a lot of people go into personal training is great. I get to work at a gym and train people all day. Like that is long, hard hours. It's unsocial hours. You're doing the six o'clock till 10 o'clock shift in the morning. Got yeah. next to nothing on during the day, except for probably running an Instagram channel these days. Most people do. And then working again from what four in the afternoon again till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Like it is that is hard work, and the burnout rate in that industry is significant. Obviously, it's COVID reduced the amount of PTs in the market by about fifty percent, and obviously we lost a load of gyms as well. So, um, I guess the short answer is I find what we do very exciting because for, 
for me, if you if you're excited about uh, business and being in in the the game of business, and that's what gets me turned on and keeps me excited about what we're trying to do. Yeah. We've got a massive mission of what we're trying to do, which is change the way the world heals. And the occupational health is a small section of that within a 30 year plan. So, um, the, actually for, for me, it's, it's winning at the game of business, which is exciting. Our occupational health services just happens to be the products that we sell. So when you say winning at the game of business, what do you mean? Cause I, I, I can, I, I'm sitting here going, I'm smiling because I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'm just, let's dig into that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Well, like, I see business as a game, not in that it's a, uh, I'm, I'm belittling it or bringing it down, you know, it's people's mm. livelihoods at, at stake and all that. And I, and I take that with all the most importance it, it deserves and the fact that we're looking after people's health and, you know, the statutory requirements of big organizations is very serious. But if you break down business into, it's fundamentals effectively it's a game of who can um, generate the most uh, profit in return to shareholders and who can do that sustainably over the longest period of time so that's mm-hmm. no different to to i suppose sport really sports about mm-hmm. who can win the most matches and who can do that for the longest period of time over you know winning you know league year after year um, yeah. so that's that that's and and again it's, it's how can you do that most efficiently with the the fewest resources, you know, the, you know, the revenue or profit per full-time equivalent and all that sort of thing. That's where I find it, it very exciting. And that's why I define it as a game. Yeah. But you find it enjoyable. You find it and en- it's the, so is the idea of, um, going back to the gym days, is the idea of owning the gym and trying to run that as a business more exciting and appealing to you than actually just the gym? It could be any business as long as you're passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I, um, a lot of people would say to me, oh, you're a typical, and not massive word, fan of the word, but you know, a typical entrepreneur, oh, you must have always been into this. And the answer was, I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, in fact, a, a story I often tell is at school, we used to have this thing called young enterprise and effectively that's where with yeah, your colleagues, when you're about 16, you, you set up a, a small business and you, you run it as a, a trading organization, you compete on a national level against other businesses of your size. And we set up a business which was called um, Tops Off, and it was doing a credit card custom uh, customized bottle openers, hence the name Tops Off. Anyway, my job within this business was the mascot. I used to wear the bottle costume, so I had no. <laughs> I, 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 they wouldn't even let me near like the, the marketing strategy or the sales or even I did. All they let me do was turn up to the trade shows and wear the bottle costume. So the, the reason I tell that story is because it's an extreme example of when I was young, I was not interested in business at all. Yeah. I wasn't your typical, you know, you, you hear stories of your Richard Branson selling sweets and jeans and whatever in the playground. That wasn't me at all. And then I went into rugby because that's all I, was, all, all I was interested in. From age 15, I said, I'm going to be a professional rugby player. Um, and so that's all I focused on. Then when I came into the gym, I didn't set the gym up for a business. I set it up for, it was a passion of mine. It's the only other thing I knew. And at the time, my passion was to be the best trainer I could possibly be. And it wasn't until the business started to, the business side of um, the gym came through. I was like, oh, I like this. And and I I guess really what it it sums up to is whatever I've done, I've always tried to do to the very best of my ability and be ultra competitive at it. And then... That leads, when you're very competitive or something, that leads you into this, this journey of self-discovery and self-improvement. And it's that self-improvement that says, oh, how good can I get at this? And I'll be honest, I've got a, proof, a point to prove as well. 
I didn't, I wasn't successful at the rugby. I didn't have the career I wanted to do. Um, so I'm, so for me, my aim is to become, um, a great within business. And for me to yeah. be a great within business, you need to hit that a billion pound or billion dollar to make it slightly easier evaluation. So that's what we're doing we're on a journey to become a, you know, a billion yeah. dollar company. It's interesting. You, 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 you may not think of yourself as an entrepreneur from, from a young age, but it sounds like you've been competitive from a young age. Uh, and, and, you know, you're referring to rugby as a teenager, referring to business as a game and this drive to win and, and, um, and, and sort of do that competitive streak. Can I ask, are you still doing the gym? Is that still running or did that, that go by the wayside? It's, no, the, the, the gym still operates um, and it very much is a small local offering for some of our, our bigger um, corporate customers around here. Mm. So effectively, they get it built in as part of their corporate package. So it's only for our, our local customers that they get access to that. Um, but we don't, we don't run it as a, uh, a significant uh, service line. So there's obviously been this uh, career shifting. You're saying you're doing this with your three brothers, is that right? Did I understand that right? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're still a family-owned business, still wholly owned by yeah. the three brothers, myself, Will Latus and Sam Latus. So, and I can imagine uh, the comp competitiveness amongst the brothers, it must be quite quite interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what sort of challenges have you faced then? Um, bootstrapping your company, transitioning from the gym to occupational health, there's some big players in occupational health. It is going to be, I don't know a lot about it, I'm going to assume a super regulated industry. So, how, I mean, how have you dealt with that? Yes, yeah, I think the biggest challenge is definitely being from a non-medical background is um, being able to convince people that your vision for the way something should be delivered is correct. And we're constantly coming up against the what I call like the dinosaurs of, of the industry of occupational health who set it up in the still around and set up in the 1970s saying no it has to be done in this way and it's like show me the evidence of why it has to be done in that way and I'll sit down and I'll listen to you but it's not you you know we, you get in every industry people saying it has to be done in this way and it's the worst reason ever because they say because it's yeah. always been done as soon yeah, as yeah. someone says that to me I'm like okay that's a good reason for us to do something different um, <laughs> so I'd say that is probably the biggest challenge is around um, creating the change we want to see, but without um, the medical background for the credibility point of view. Um, mm. Luckily, we have a fantastic team around us. We've got great chief medical officer, clinical directors and um, advisory board who are unique in their own right because they're, you know, medical people, they're expert physicians, you know, practicing physicians, and they've got this, this eye on the future and where... Uh, digital healthcare fits where AI fits into um, into healthcare as well. So without those guys, it would be very hard. But I'm very fortunate to have them. So is that was that your strategy to overcome? Maybe the you see, I, I'm listening to you talk, Jack, and I, I, I'm going. Well, here's a guy who's resilient. Here's a guy who's got grit um, and determination. Quite a competitive guy. Wants to do well. You know, wants to. It sounds like you'll probably want to do something of a high quality, which is great. But you're in an industry where it is regulated, where you don't have that medical background. So what was your strategy for, for, for win, or what is your strategy for winning in that industry? Because obviously you can't rely necessarily on your own um, insider knowledge here. You, it sounds like you're recruiting team. What else are you doing? Yeah, I think it definitely is recruit, recruiting the key players. It's also um, about seeing what's going on in other industries. 
So I'm a big believer, like if you, if you want to disrupt the car industry, don't go out and find the person who's been, you know, produced the best cars for the last 10, 15, 20 years. You want to go and find someone from a different industry and say, how would you disrupt this one? So I guess that's kind of what we've done. We've, we've brought, you know, the tech guys in from who haven't necessarily worked in healthcare before mm. and said, what, what have you been doing elsewhere and how can that be applied to us? So one of our biggest challenges is around the, or our, one of our big goals is to, um, be able to deliver all of our services remotely. So we've been right. going out and finding the best tech experts who understand how to build the hardware and then integrate with the software to actually enable us to do that. Um, so that's been around remote health testing for, well, the, the, the core things for us is audiometry, spirometry, um, vision testing. Those are sort of probably the, the, the key things that we've had to yeah. um, be able to do. And it seems to be that healthcare, I mean, as a as an industry, I mean, since COVID has rapidly moved to the online idea. I remember working with a, a healthcare um, service in New Zealand, and I I was always struck by when you went to see your GP here in the UK, you had to you had to go to the GP and you had to sit in a waiting room with really sick people coughing and spluttering everywhere, and you you just wanted to talk about something over. You probably could have done it on the phone, and it seems since COVID. That whole concept has sort of kind of accelerated forward, hasn't it? Have you? Is that what you found with? Is I, I suppose in one sense, has COVID been a blessing for you guys? Is it accelerating what you're trying to do? I, th- I think COVID, um, if you take the the negative effects and the you know the, the the crisis element of COVID out of it, in terms of developing technology, it's definitely been a blessing for mm. um, for healthcare and definitely for us as well. So um, pre COVID, we were saying to a lot of our customers, right for a good 50, 60, 70% of our services, we currently do not need to come to your site to deliver these, or you don't have to yeah. come to us. These can be delivered remotely already with a technology that already exists. And they were, again, it goes back to, oh, we've always received our services this way. So they were reluctant to do that. COVID gave people no choice. It, I said it gave people forced exposure to a new technology. The healthcare outcomes off the back of that were better. So even from our point of view, uh, businesses were getting uh, appointments faster, they were getting the reports faster, yeah. right? they were getting the advice on what they need to do with their employees faster. So and so it forced them into it and they're like, hang on, this is better for us as well. So now they haven't gone back. Um, mm. I am concerned that in a lot, in some fields of healthcare, you see people very quickly going back to the old way instead of saying, hang on, we've been taught a really good lesson here by the um, what we've been forced to do by COVID. Um, but people quickly want to go back to the old way. Um, so for us, it was definitely a blessing. It's definitely created that sort of forced exposure and it has moved the industry forward and it's helping yeah. us to get closer to where we want to be with the um, customer. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, the, the sort of double-edged sword of COVID, uh, like you're saying, in a lot of ways, I mean, there's a lot of bad that came out of COVID, but there seems to have been a lot of good, especially if you're in the tech or digital industries or you can incorporate tech or digital in, in the industry that you're in. So here you are, um, a sort of fairly young guy in this whole healthcare industry, taking on the dinosaurs from the 1970s. Um, (laughs) So apart from the fact that you get wound up when people tell you you can't do it, or it's always been done that way, so you, 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 how how else have you dealt with that from a sort of a personal point of view? I mean, what are some of the things that you've done to deal with the naysayers uh, from the industry? Um, I think for me, it, it does just constantly go back to that, um, resilience and persistence and saying, if, if you believe that 
your vision for the way something should be delivered is the right way. And, um, and you've got data to back that up and you can see the, the, you know, the end goal and you prepare to pe- play the long, long game, then, and you can just, you can sort of internalize that belief. Then you just got to continue going. So it's not really against fighting against these, you know, the, the people who are saying you can't do something. Yes. You mm. use that as motivation. It's fuel in the fire. I, I've always loved to prove someone wrong. Um, but I don't, you know, for example, I don't start to, you know, get engaged in conversations with these people and, and arguments because for me, I'd rather let them all argue about how we shouldn't and shouldn't do, should or shouldn't do something. And me and my yeah. team will just keep focused on, on where we're going and, and our mission. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that I, I think again, look at what other industries are doing and certain industries, healthcare being one of them will, will sit behind, but eventually it has to catch up. Yeah. So it's like, and again, it comes down to, and then you might think of sort of Simon Sinek's infinite game mindset, or for, for me, it's just playing that long game and saying, we're prepared to outlast the competition. We'll be here when our competition are, and therefore our way will at some point has to be the norm. Yeah. So, um, it, a lot of it comes down to self-belief, uh, the other side of it is not being um, over leveraged in terms of uh, debt and uh, you know having to provide returns to to investors. Like we're very fortunate as a business, we're very profitable, um, but we're not under pressure to give those returns in the next six, twelve, eighteen months to investors, yeah. so we can play that long game. Yeah, one of the benefits of bootstrapping slightly grower and uh, slower in the start, but actually in the long run, it, it can pay off, right? And, and very much so, you know, we stayed as a small provider for years and, you know, we've been in the game for, well, if you take, since we start, we started doing occupational health in 2017. Um, so it's not that long, I suppose, what we're now, that's, we're sort of five, six years into it. Um, but it took us a while to get our foothold, to get that growth. And now we're the fifth biggest provider in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the people who are above us have been doing it for 20 years plus. So, yeah. you know, within the next three years, we'll be the market leader in our industry. I've no doubt. It'd be interesting, actually, to have you back on when you achieve that spot. And we'll talk about that. Um, but, Jack, listen, I, I'm kind of curious. You, you use phrases like self-belief, resilience, persistence. Where, what cultivates that, you and you? Or where did that come from? Is that something you've always had? Is that something you've had to learn? Where, where did that come from? What's the driver? That is a tough question, is it? Is it internal or is it from external influence? Uh, I've certainly always been inspired by people who achieve great things. And, and for me, when you see someone achieving great things, one of the common um, traits of those people seems to be this belief. You know, first of all, you, you can't achieve anything without believing because to start with, you've got to be able to vision and say, mm-hmm. right, that's what I'm aiming for, right? So mm-hmm. you've got to have that. And then you've got to have that self-belief. So, you know, I do believe that the successful people, you know, share probably three common traits. They share the the trait of elevated sense of self. So they believe in themselves. Um, they're probably in a state of sort of constant self-doubt, which kind of keeps you motivated. And that's a bit of a dichotomy, really. It's like, I've yeah. got, you've got elevated sense of self, but then on the hand, oh, I'm not good enough, so I have to try harder. And then the third one is, um, is like that delay, ability to delay gratification, which mm-hmm. um, I think is absolutely key because one, if you're, you don't start celebrating too soon, so you keep driving. Uh, yeah. and the other side of it is you get massive compound effects, your compound benefit of doing so. If you can, you know, even if you just look at it from a financial point of view, if you can delay the point at which you start to extract that reward from your business, mm. 
then you're just going to be reinvesting profits and that went, that's when you, you know, supercharge growth. Yeah. No, the three very good points. I, I like those. I've got them written down. Um, it's interesting. There is this real tension, isn't there, for a lot of people. Like, I have a strong belief in what I'm doing with that tension of, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm in the right place. I don't know if this is me. And this sort of constant going backwards and forwards, uh, which is quite uh, is quite fascinating. So if let's, I mean, you, you talk about people of influence. Let me ask this question then, right? Let's assume you, I mean, this show sponsored by Orion Media, uh, which helps entrepreneurs, you know, set up and run their own podcast to grow their own businesses. I'm kind of curious if you had your own podcast. People of influence, people that have inspired you, if you could have anyone from the past or the um, present on your show just to talk to them and, you know, pick their brains. I'm curious, who would who would be on your show and why? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think right right now, people who are sort of really inspiring me at the moment, I've got, I'll probably reel a few off and give you a reason then that actually the person I would really want to do a podcast with probably wouldn't be on this list. Um so I think right now I've got inspiration from probably one of the biggest inspiration I've got at the moment is a chap called George Heaton. So he's not from my field at all. He's from the um, from the fashion industry. So he's the the chief exec of uh, Represent Clothing Brand. Um, mm-hmm. They're on a you know pretty significant growth journey themselves. I think they're coming towards a sort of hundred million turnover. His aim is to build the world's best brand. I love the sort of the the vision of, and he's also in business with his brother um, mm-hmm. Michael Heaton. Um, I like the way he goes about his business. He's very uh, mission driven, uh, all about building community around his brand. But then, as a, in his personal life, he's very much fitness orientated. Um, so I'd I'd enjoy that sort of conversation with him. Um, over in the US, I think someone like Grant Cardone would be interesting to okay. to uh, to have on a, to to interview. Uh, I think Grant Cardone is absolute marmite to most people. In fact, I actually uh, suggested one of our my directors uh, listen to one of his uh, books. I can't remember what it was. It might be uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average or something like that. And she said, wow, he's like a, a WWE commentator. She said, I can't listen to this guy. And I was like, you're just missing. I said, you're missing. I said, listen to what he's saying. You're missing the message. Because sometimes I, I think with people, you've got to take them to an extreme and, and Grant mm. Cardone is extreme. But um, so I thought he would be quite an interesting one. I love his... Um, he uses the term omnipresence, like he's just everywhere and like you can love him or hate him, but you're going to know about him. I quite like that. Mm. Um, I think Dana White and what he's done at UFC would be mm. an amazing one. That would be good. But the actual, the person who I thought if I was going to do one podcast would be, um, and I wouldn't say he's, he's, um, his career, his early part of his career was particularly inspirational to me, even though he was an absolute sporting sensation. What he's done now and the brand he has is unbelievable. That's David Beckham. But the reason I right. think I'd want to have him on my podcast is um, because no one else has. Have you, have you right. ever seen David Beckham on a podcast? No, the only time I've oh, ever seen him in sort of a chat show format is if he's doing something with James Corden. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, and I actually think, I don't think David Beckham gets the credit he deserves and it, you know, so other people might say it's, it's external influence and it's been well managed or whatever. But the brand he has, the fact oh, that he's a clever guy, you know, he's got, he's got how many, how many sports stars mm. command the brand they do post their successful career the way he does now mm. is unbelievable, you know. Um, and actually, I, and I have a lot of, and it might just be um, external perception, but I have a lot of 
admiration for the way he goes about his life in general. Mm. It seems like he's got great family connection now, great friends connection, does a lot of mm. travel. Um, sure. So just, to, yeah, he just looks like he's doing great things. Lo would love to interview him. Well, that would be amazing. And if you do, uh, I, I will definitely tune in because I'd be really curious by that. In fact, I was thinking then the only time I'd ever heard him really speak was on Parkinson. I think he was on Parkinson once. Mm -hmm. and Victoria's wife came on and let slip that this is that she called him golden balls, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, but yeah, no, it's brilliant. So, um, listen, uh, Jack, what do you, let me let me sort of switch gears a little bit. Um, you've been in the fitness industry. We said in the intro, you reduced your biological age by 4.6 years. Don't know what that means. But what do you do to um, stay well, to fill your tank, to recharge your batteries? What I mean, knowing everything that you know and working across all the industries, what's, what's stuff that you do? Yeah, okay. So um, it's a whole lot. So um, I think def definitely everybody should be doing some form of uh, trying to maintain muscle mass and maintain strength. So mm -hmm. I spend a fair bit of time in the gym doing some form of resistance training. Um, I do co CrossFit training as well, which I've mm -hmm. got into in sort of the later part of my athletic career. Um, I very much enjoy that. Mm -hmm. um, keeping VO2 max high is also key in terms of uh, increasing longevity and, and life expectancy. Um, strength or muscle mass and VO2 max are the two uh, biggest indicators of how long you'll live. So I always try yeah. and maintain those. Um, so that involves some potentially fairly boring cardio work. So like um, just, you know, pure VO2 max work. But then the other side of that is I also have gotten back into playing tennis recently. Okay. So that, so I played tennis seriously until about the age of 14, 15, sort of like at a national level. Um, and and then actually once I started to really get into rugby, I, I sort of I gave up on the tennis. Um and actually, if you look at where my resilience comes from, you asked me that earlier, a lot of it does come from tennis days because mm. weirdly, and you, you only understand this if you've been inside tennis at a top level, it's a, a horrible sport to be part of because it is, the pressure is unbelievable, especially as a young yeah. child. And, and yeah. unfortunately, I fell out of love with it. And it's one of my big life regrets because if I'd have just kept playing it in some form to some, you know, just playing it for fun, if you like, rather than having to play it seriously and just kept my hand in it, I'd have... And I've actually been a, a pretty decent player when I got older and I started to, to develop physically. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I finished when I was 14. I had my 34th birthday coming up back in September last year. And I thought I really should be playing a sport. I was doing CrossFit, doing some gym work, but I had no sport. And I thought I need to get back into it because, you know, while, while you can, you should, was my thinking. Mm. Uh, I thought, well, I can't get back into rugby. That's stupid. I used to play cricket. Cricket takes too long. I wouldn't be able to maintain a relationship with my partner if I had to go and play cricket for <laughs> all day on a, on a Saturday. So I thought, actually, um, the only other sport I've ever played to any sort of level is tennis. I thought I could probably pick that up and it wouldn't lead to, to injury. So anyway, I booked myself less on my 34th birthday and I've, I've been back into it for pretty much six months since and really into it like Classic me now playing it quite seriously in a couple of teams, and, you know. <laughs> no, no half measures, right? That's no, I mean, exactly. I, and so that's what I do have to be careful of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I've done CrossFit for quite a few years now. I think I started back in 2015, and um, uh, in 2015, what was that? It was eight years ago. So I was in my early 40s when I started um, doing CrossFit because I was quite overweight, uh, and my kids. Um, 
used to call me Baggy Belly and I started doing different workouts and I, I thought I was fairly fit and then I remember the first time I walked into the CrossFit gym here in Liverpool and did, it was just a simple workout. You had to do five rope climbs and I think it was like a 200 metre, was it? Yes, yeah, like 200 metre run. Five rope climbs, five times. How hard could that be? I was throwing up outside uh, and I just got hooked. You're pretty early uh, into it then. 2015 yeah, yeah. is quite early. That's that's well before the, the craze took off. Well, in 2018, I um, I said to my boys, uh, how old were they at the time? Maybe 16, um, somewhere 16, 17, 18, somewhere around there. And um, I said to them, listen, boys, we get, let's do a trip. You, just the three of us, right? Dads and lads trip. Let's go somewhere. What do you want to do? And my boys said, oh, we really want to go to the CrossFit Games. And so we went to watch the CrossFit Games in Madison, which was fantastic, actually. Wow. It was a phenomenal experience. And um, we camped on the CrossFit ground. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that we could tell you, but yeah. I, so I get, I get what you mean with the CrossFit. Sorry, I don't get the VO2 max thing. I just don't care for endurance stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, the, the simplest way most you can build VO2 max training in straight away is something simple like, and you're probably not far off doing this already if you're taking part in, in CrossFit. I'll definitely be developing VO2 max, but you'd be doing something like four minutes hard out, as hard as you can effort for four minutes, four minutes off, do four blocks of that. And actually, to start with, that'd be pretty good VO2 max training. You'd be, you would, you did that for you know a few months on the rounds. You you probably get a good increase. Okay, what every day or just a couple of times a week? No, it's, I'd be looking to throw that in, ideally three times a week. I think you get good good benefit from two days a week. Okay, we'll try yeah. it. I'll let you know. We'll see how we get on. Yeah, I say you we'll do try. that on I'll an air bike or something. <laughs> yeah. You get on an assault bike on that, you'll feel it. Oh. Well, we we've got. Um, uh, sorry, listeners, if you're not into fitness, but this is yeah. to get a bit geeky. <laughs> this is what um, happens when you put two geeky CrossFit people together. <laughs> How do you know your mate does CrossFit? Because he's told you a thousand times. <laughs> tell you, um, tell you. It's um, it's one of those, isn't it? But one of the things that we've done over the years is we've I've built like a little gym in our garage. So we've got this double garage at the back of the house. I don't know why I'm pointing to it because you can't say anyway, it's that way. Um, and so we've yeah, got lovely. this little gym, which we've sort of kitted out over the years. So when COVID hit, um, we've got a gym, I've got my concept rower, I've got my Rogue Echo bike, we've got all the weights going on in there. I've got a Rogue rig, which I sort of commandeered from a gym that I was involved with that they didn't need that anymore. So, I mean, we were properly kitted kit, uh, kit out for a little home gym. So. Yeah, I, I thought, I remember when COVID hit and everything went into lockdown, I was like, oh, thank God we did that because that, that just, that saved us in a lot of ways. My my uh, youngest son, my middle child, Zach, came out of COVID looking like properly, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Properly ripped uh, and buff. And um, yeah, my, both my lads are way stronger than me now. And so, which is great. It's great to see. So listen, yeah, Jack, let me good. ask you a question. Let's go to the question box. So I'm aware of time and um, probably people listening in don't want us to keep talking about CrossFit. So we'll move on. Yeah. I feel like we've skipped, we've skipped over the uh, all the secrets of how to reduce your age by five years and six oh, months. Oh, yeah, no, no, well, that's so. right. That's a good point. Let's come back to that before I hit the question box. You reduced your biological age by 4.6 years. What does that mean? Yeah, so we obviously there's, not obviously, but there are um, different methods of um, assessing your biological age and um, so we have what's all called biological aging clocks, and the so the, the the method we use mainly is around epigenetic age. Um, so effectively, um, it's a it's, it's how your um, 
it, it basically measures methylation within your your genes and mm. uh, gives you a, a a very accurate and reliable age against your chronic age. So if you were uh, my, my chronic age, uh, sorry, chronic, chronological age was um, 33 at the time. And I think I, and my, when I first did my assessment, my biological age was 38.5. So, um, uh, which was a bit of a wake up call for me because um, I thought I was fairly healthy. But then when I assessed it, I realized it was um, a lot of high stress and uh, probably not making all the, all the best decisions I could be making so um that that really made me sort of wake up and and review what i did so i put myself on yeah. um a, a very well i wouldn't say the word very it, it, i thought at the time fairly intense and i'm seeing what this brian johnson guy is doing if you've been following him he's now getting quite a bit of attention over here and i definitely didn't spend two million on mine um although um i didn't get a result that was too dissimilar to his i think he reduced right. his biological age by 5.2 years in seven months and that classed as the the world record oh wow. um so, um, so my protocol was, was fairly simple. It was, um, a religious intermittent fast, um, or what, what people will, will know the term intermittent fast basically where yeah. you consume all your calories in a, in a much shortened, uh, window. So, yeah. so my, my, uh, calorie restriction, um, or ca calorie uh, consumption, um, was squeezed into a six hour window instead of most people's is that uh, 14, 15 hours. Um, so intermittent fasting using, uh, cold therapy, uh, hot therapy in the form of ice baths and, uh, infrared sauna, mm -hmm. um, red light treatment. So that's where we're using both red light and, uh, uh infrared and near infrared exposure for cells. And basically that's looking to, um, improve the mitochondria, mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, supplement protocol of things such as uh, Fisetin, uh, resveratrol, uh, vitamin D3 and K2. Um, I used NMN and mm. metformin, which are sort of like the, I think NMN and metformin are probably, uh, two bit more out there. I think, um, no, it's just those Fisetin and resveratrol are pretty new. Not many people would be using those, but anyway, mm. basically that, that whole stack there is there designed purely to focus on, um, uh, your biological age at yeah. a, an epigenetic level. Um, I, I think regardless of what the, uh, the tests say, like it's great to say, actually, you know, biologically I'm now uh, five years younger than I was, which is great. Mm -hmm. But actually the, the key bit is the difference to the way you, you feel and yeah. you perform. That's the bit, which is, was key to me. Um, so I felt like I, I thought I actually felt good, but now the difference now compared to that is, uh, is massive quite, and and it's quite, it is actually sustainable. So I, mm. I now continue to do it. It's not like I just did it as a, a six month block. It's actually, mm. it's just part of my life now. It probably takes me about 15 minutes in the morning to, for my, my supplement protocol in the morning. And then on the night after I have a 30 minute red light exposure before bed. So I've just mm. got to build those into my, into yeah. my day. But other than that, it's, uh, it, it's very maintainable. My, uh, my partner, she, she always goes, thinks it's a bit weird when she's, fall into sleep next to a guy with a, a red light helmet on and some red light uh, probes up my nose, but hey, it's helping my brain. It improves my sleep. It sends me into a better uh, deep wave sleep. Yeah, so. yeah. Does she just does, yeah. she, does she just look at you and go, <sighs> and then sort of go it's, to sleep? <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, don't wrong, she goes to the gym and all that sort of thing, but she actually would think uh, the, uh, the, the level I go to is... Um, 
a bit much. It's interesting, isn't it? This whole topic of biohacking, I think, has been a big thing for a, for a few years. This um, testing of your age, then, is that something that you guys do? If people are interested in knowing more about that, how how would I how would I go test myself, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's something that we we, we supply um, through through our clinic here. So we have a bricks and mortar clinic here where our our office is, where I'm sitting today, um, and then we can deliver them online it, as well. I mean, all of the uh, biological age tests have uh, are validated for self collection as well, so we can literally just dispatch those out to anywhere in the country, okay. and um, with clear instructions of how to collect the sample, whether it be a saliva sample or a uh, fingerprint blood sample, uh, and then they just get sent back to our lab. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to go check it out. A good friend of mine actually came around the other day and told me he'd done one of these sort of age tests, and his was his was like I think it was ten years older than what he was. Um, and yeah. so he's like, I don't believe the results. I'm going to go have another one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, funny enough, he does CrossFit as well. And um, yeah, well, so, yeah, the, he, so the problem he's probably chronically stressed or chronically overtrained. So yeah. that this is the strength training and fitness is very important for you know increasing longevity. But if you overdo it, you're actually putting mm -hmm. your your cells into a state of of overstress, and actually you're not going to. Yeah, and that's probably something something I was doing. You know, when my my, my yeah. test results were a lot higher than I expected them to be, um, and I, I've been doing that for years. You know, since I was fifteen, when I decided to move professional rugby player, trained pro probably three days, uh, sorry, three times a day for however yeah. long that was until I until I finished when I was about twenty six or so ten eleven years of of chronically overtraining. That's really interesting, isn't it? He he thought it was to do with the fact he's got some. I think he had osteoarthritis, and so uh, he wondered whether that would um, send his inflammation markers sky high. Uh, it it would do, but there's, but it, it's cause and effect there. For me, his, his osteoarthritis will be cause of some. He's caused by something he is doing, um, and actually, the uh, and the best thing he could do is look at a really good longevity protocol because that would likely improve the symptoms of osteoarthritis. Okay, so and you guys do the test, but you also give uh, advice on the pro protocols people should follow. I take it. Absolutely. And if you think of our mission to change the way the world heals, effectively everything we're saying is we need to start to focus on improving the, the people's health before they get ill. So at the moment, if we look at where we are now with, say, Medicine 2.0, Medicine 2.0 says, um, we'll fix you when you're broken. Yeah. So, so med medicine looks for dysfunction and it looks for illness and it says, how do we make you better? So that's why we have amazing acute care. But we don't. We're, we're not good at chronic care, and the reason for that is because we start to look for it too late. Yeah. Actually, we should, you know, look for Alzheimer's, for example, which is still, which is now the biggest. More people die with Alzheimer's than any other illness, I believe. Mm. Um, and Alzheimer's, before the first symptom of that, is created twenty years. So you had twenty years of developing Alzheimer's before your first symptom. So really, oh, wow. we should all be doing things to actually prevent Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, prior to actually becoming a symptom. If we did that, then you, you think of the healthcare, uh, even in the NHS, cost-saving benefits, plus life expectancy, life quality, everything that goes with it. Mm. Um, and that's just one illness. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they do, I mean, things like the breast screen, the breast screening program has had a massive impact, hasn't it, on breast cancer, for instance, because they catch things early enough. Um, yeah. But you're right, there's, there's, there's a whole lot more that I guess we can test for now with modern science and the way it is and early markers and stuff that we can know about ahead of time, which is going to yeah. help well, us. Well, we know what, we, we, can, we can tell what people are genetically predisposed to get. 
you know, if at the end of the day, if you can, you, we know the uh, EPO E4 gene. Um, if you've got that, then you, you are um, genetically pre more likely to develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and most people say, oh, well, why would you want to know that? I'm like, well, because knowledge is power. You can then choose to do something about it. Same thing if you were predisposed to more likely, had the higher likelihood of uh, developing lung cancer, you would never smoke a cigarette in your life if you had been told that already. You, and you could also put a, a, um, a program in place to try and reduce the likelihood of that actually yeah. um, you know, manifesting. Listen, uh, Jay, this is mean, all super interesting. And if people want to find out more about the program that you guys do, that you offer, um, or, or just want to reach out and connect, maybe got a few questions for you, what's the best way for folks to do that? Yeah, I mean, more than happy for anybody to reach out and connect. Um, my On uh, LinkedIn is probably my most active profile, so I'm, I'm Jack Later's on there, so should be easy to find me. Um, and I, I run that profile myself, so if you send a DM, I, I'm on there. Or I'm trying to get back onto Twitter, um, which um, <laughs> I've not been on since, I think, 2013, but I'm yeah. trying to get back on there and do a bit of a brain dump every so often on there. So that's Jack underscore latest. Um, and then there's the um, our, our website as well. If you go to latesthealth.co.uk, you'll see everything we're doing on there and you can contact our clinical team through there too. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, listen, Jack, uh, we will, of course, link to uh, all of those on the show notes as well. So if you subscribe to the newsletter, you will find those in your email, no doubt about it. But Jack, listen, genuinely enjoyed the conversation. I'm really intrigued about the aging thing and uh, uh, good to talk a little bit about CrossFit because why not? Because we can. Um, so uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Genuinely, really, really enjoyed it and really psyched about what you guys are doing. Thank you very much, Pat. I really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. No problem. No, it's been great. It's been great. What a great conversation. Huge thanks again to Jack for joining me today. Also, a big shout out to today's show sponsor, Orion Media. If you're wondering if podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with them at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. I don't think they'll be able to reduce your biological age, but they will be able to help you with your podcast. Uh, if you want your biological age, talk to Jack. Uh, and of course, they will be linked on the podcast as uh, on the podcast website as well, which is pushtobemore.com. Now, be sure to follow the Push To Be More podcast wherever you get your podcast from, because we've got some more great conversations lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one's told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are. It's just a burden you have to bear. Jack has to bear it. I have to bear it. You've got to bear it as well. Now, Push To Be More is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. Our theme song was written by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, head over to the website pushtobemore.com. Com. That's it from me. That's it from Jack. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.